This is what happens when you go on a honeymoon and your busy producer produces, hey, this is a good intro for you, and wow. send it to you, and I don't get an answer. Yeah, that I, You get Tiny Tim. I get Tiny Tim. Um, we well, didn't have internet on the cruise. Uh, this was before the cruise. Oh. Well, good try, Carol. I was planning a wedding. Yeah, we're, we're yeah, really that's your busy. Excuse. That's your excuse. Yeah, I know. It, it is an excuse. Tiny Tim was lovely addition to the podcast. This is an open letter if you're listening and you're wondering what in the world was that. Apparently Chad had a little too much time on his hands and so instead of yeah, the too much time now. The, the the whole Dave thing that uh, it's, it's a good change of pace. I don't mind it. New uh, new You year. don't mind Tiny Tim. Well, you know, it's kitschy. It kind of brings back <laughs> memories, you know. It was a little long. But do you know what? You what? know what this is from. You know no. what this is on. I, I have no idea. Apparently, you're you the Tiny Tim kids. expert here. You have kids. Yeah. This is on the very first episode of SpongeBob SquarePants. Oh. Oh, well. my. You well, know, when he's flipping the burgers and the anchovies are everywhere, and then he comes in with that spatula flying in the air? This is what's playing. Okay. All right. Well, uh, we do have... I'm super excited about the intro, Chad. Very nice job. Thank you for the SpongeBob shout-out. <laughs> but we, uh, I, I want to introduce everyone we have on the podcast tonight. This, I'm super excited about the podcast tonight because of our guest tonight. Um, so, but first, I introduce our team. We've got uh, the producer Chad. That's me. Hi, Chad. Thank yes. you. Yes. Thank you. Applause. Thank nice. You. Nice. And then my lovely wife Carol. Wife, I can say now for the first time. Hello. And Hi, our very special guest. From Colorado. Where in Colorado are you from, Lise? Colorado Springs. Ah. Nice. I have been to Colorado Springs. Very Jack nice there. A little much, too much fun with the sound effects tonight. <laughs> <laughs> That's not different than normal. No, it's not. But, see, Leith has been like on the Rob Bell Robcast, so this is going to be a much <laughs> different experience for you, Leith. I'm just warning you right <laughs> off the bat. So, Leith, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super honored that you would ask me to join you. Yeah, so just kind of give our uh, listeners an idea of what's happened and how I got to know Leith a little bit here. I do listen to Rob Bell's Robcast quite frequently, and I heard Leith, uh, it was actually episode 99. And uh, when, when were you on the podcast, uh, Rob's podcast, Leith? It was precisely May 12th. <laughs> I remember the date because it was significant. Um, but, yeah, it was May 12th of 2016. And you actually went out to California. You went. You were in what he calls the back house, and so you actually were out there. <laughs> I was. It was super awesome. You're super jealous that you didn't get to go with me because <laughs> it was, like, awesome. How do you know? Um, it's like you know me. Because <laughs> I, I know anyone who listens to Rob is jealous if they haven't gotten to go be in the back house. <laughs> Absolutely. Now I did. Um, I'm fortunate enough. I used to go to Mars Hill 
when he was a pastor. <gasps> so now you get to be jealous, Leith. <laughs> I am jealous. And uh, I, I actually met him one time on a little uh, comedy improv thing I went to. I said hi to him, and then he got up and moved seats. I don't know. <laughs> it's a true story. I don't know what happened. Yes. It was kind of weird. Um, so I heard Leith on, Rob, on the Robcast um, last year. And um, it was a very, very touching story, and I reached out to Leith, and I said, hey, would you be um, willing to be on our show? And she said, absolutely. And uh, I was super excited and thrilled and took a little while with matching schedules because Carol and I got married and end-of-the-year stuff and all that, (laughs) holidays. But here we are. We have Leith McHugh on the podcast, an open letter. So it's super exciting. Yay! Yay! Very cool. (laughs) All right, so welcome to the show. So we are gonna we're gonna dive right in the off the cuff question of the night. Okay, I want you to describe for me all, and this is for everybody. This is an all skate. Everyone describe to me one of your favorite meals. Now I don't do favorites because Carol doesn't do favorites. <laughs> she locks up like a deer in the headlights. And she gives me this glazed, glazed look like I my heart is so big I can't pick one favorite. So I'm just one. Chad, we're gonna start with you. What is one of your favorite meals? One of my favorite meals. Yes. Yeah. Are you talking about at a restaurant or just anything, in buddy? Anything. We're just gonna leave it wide open. I'm a burger and fries guy. Where do you like plain? To, like general. where? Where do you want your burger from? You want uh, Mr. Grill? Burger? Oh, really? Mr. Burger has the best burgers. Period. At least that is a uh, Grand Rapids local area. They don't actually sponsor the podcast yet, but who knows? Maybe they will. <laughs> um, Carol, we're gonna jump to you next. One of your favorite oh, meals. She's giving me that look. This is so hard. I know. It's what makes it fun. Um, I think. I think I'd have to say. Salmon on the grill. Anything? And, what, what for sides? Um. Lots of grilled veggies like zucchini and onions and. Like that. All right. Lise, your turn. Okay. This is like my confession favorite because I kind of try to be like a little bit healthy. Uh-huh. But I have a slight obsession with ramen noodles. Oh, really? I do. If you have to like try to make it healthy, you can do a hard boiled egg and some spinach and a little red wine vinegar. And beef ramen, and it makes an awesome meal. Really? Did you write that down, Carol? Yes. Not yet, but I think I will. <laughs> All right. It's so good. Oh, and some olive oil or avocado oil in it. It was really good. She's actually writing this down, Lisa. You're going to have to go through that one more time. She's actually writing yes. it down. Ramen noodles, <laughs> olive oil, boiled egg, spinach. Did I get it all? And red wine vinegar. Red wine oh, yeah. vinegar. Right. Excellent. And if nobody's looking, you might add a little bit more salt, even though there's way too much <laughs> sodium already in it. Oh, yes, there is. <laughs> All right. Oh, Thank you, Leith, for that answer. And now for myself, um, you know, for me, it really depends on my mood because it, it really kind of depends what you want to eat. We had a really good meal last night at Chili's, oddly enough. And so sometimes I just want to get <laughs> some good baby back ribs. And so baby back ribs um, with some broccoli on the side. I think that that's a really that's a solid meal. So there you go. That's off the cuff awesome. for tonight. Yeah. So Leith, we're gonna dive right in here with you and start asking you some questions, trying to get an idea of your story. I wanna start with 
Could you just kind of give us a little bit of background about yourself and your family? That's kind of where I want to begin tonight. Okay. Like my family of origin or my family that I created? Your created family. <laughs> okay. Um, so I've been married to my awesome husband, Aaron, for 23 years. We just celebrated in December. Very cool. Yes. Um, and we have a son, Holden, who is 21, who lives out in Costa Mesa, California, and a daughter, Avery, who is 15, and she lives at home with us. And then we lost our sweet Hadley um, almost six years ago. Saturday is six years, and um, she was 12 when she died, so she would be 18 gotcha. now. Gotcha. And we also have two awesome dogs, a golden doodle named Lulu and a little multi-poo named Boo. <laughs> Lulu and Boo. All right. I love yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> All right. So tell me, how did you meet your awesome husband? Congratulations, 23 years, long time. How, how did you and Aaron meet? Well, thank you, first of all. Yeah, you you know, marriage is not the easiest thing on the planet, so we high-five every time. We're like, yes, another milestone. <laughs> um, so we met, um, we were both doing Young Life. It's a ministry that's for high school kids. Um, well, they also now have lots of other ministries, but it started off as high school kids. Um, we were both doing that down in Waco, Texas. We were in school at Baylor. And Aaron was playing guitar for our Young Life team, and I was leading the team. And we had, I think we were practicing for worship or something together, and I was kind of like, oh, he's cute, but he is <laughs> way too serious. Oh, wow. <laughs> he, yeah, he was very intense, and um, I was a little bit crazy. And so he was like, oh, she's cute, but she is crazy. So... Um, we, he had a girlfriend at the time, so I was just not really interested in him because he was already taken and he was way too serious for me. And then a couple of weeks later, I heard they broke up and I was giving him a ride to Young Life because he didn't have a car. And so I just asked him how he was doing with this breakup and we got talking and a couple of weeks later we were dating and nine months later we were married. Oh my goodness. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So it just kind of clicked pretty fast then once you started dating. Would you say that? Yeah. That's awesome. It was definitely one of those, like, you just kind of know it when you know it. And yeah. we were both too young to really make, like, a mature, wise decision. Right. We were 21 and 22 when we got married. and <laughs> um, But we just, we just knew it. That is very cool. So when you say that you were kind of crazy... What did that, I'm just kind of, I'm curious, I, uh, it's, I don't actually have this question written down. I'm like, well, what does that even mean? What does that look like? <laughs> well, I just, I really wanted attention, and so I was always super, like, silly and thought it was really funny to, like, fart and burp <laughs> in public. Chad is and... raising his fist in triumph for some reason. <laughs> Yeah, we yes. need laughter at bodily functions, okay? All right. All okay, there's not <laughs> enough right. laughter. Okay. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, so I just, um, I was just kind of crazy that way, and I was just wild, like always had to be super loud, and yeah, I, I, that was kind of the crazy I was. So it sounds like it was kind of an opposite to track type of scenario, is that right? Yeah, I would say, I mean, now I know how much alike we actually are, but... Right. 
that's more in our truest selves that, that we're actually a lot alike. But in what was my facade, we were definitely opposite. Um, and I wouldn't say his was a facade so much, but it was de- I, it probably protected him in some ways that he stayed pretty intense. And okay, um, yeah. So you're so you're saying that you you had somewhat of a facade going on then that 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 wild craziness wasn't the genuine lease. It was kind of something no, you like put I, out there a little bit. Yeah, I think so. Like I think it kept people at a distance in a sense that if well, how would I say it? Like I definitely love to be silly. I still am very playful, and um, but I just needed attention. That's really what it was. So. Okay. I, maybe it wasn't as much of a facade as just that I was, I really wanted people to see me. Mm, okay. But it probably distracted yeah. them from the real you. Yeah. Gotcha. There's like, I, 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 I have like a million questions on there, but they would only distract us from the story <laughs> I want to get to. Cause that's, I, that's, I think that's really interesting how, when we do that, I think that it's very common as teenagers. And you, did you grow up in the church? No, not at all. Actually. No, I grew up with a single mom who um, wasn't very present she worked a lot is what I mean by that. And then we went to like a Unitarian church part of my grade school years. But really, I didn't know about God or Jesus until I started doing Young Life when I was in high school. What was it? Was there anything specifically attractive about Young Life to you at that age? That kind of, it was just a, other kids there that kind of got you interested? or No, I, it was really the Young Life leaders. Like they paid attention to me. I feel like they could kind of see through what was going on and in some ways kind of helped parent me. My mom started traveling when I was like 17. When I was a junior in high school, she started traveling. And so for a while, one of my Young Life leaders lived with me. And then another one, he and his wife, who were both my Young Life leaders at the time and then got married before I got married, he married us and are still sweet friends of ours. Yeah, so I think they just played a real parental role. And my Young Life leader was really the the closest thing to, like, a dad figure that I had that was the best man I knew and is still a solid, solid, solid guy. So he, I, I just knew that I saw something about him that I was also attracted to, and then he just kind of helped parent me in some ways. That's awesome. That's, That's very, very cool. cool. Yeah. I've seen that happen for my daughter, too, and I think it's pretty neat. Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, and, yeah. and of course, Carol and I are, are divorced, so, or not from each other, but obviously our <laughs> second marriage, so with her husband being kind of out, not as present, uh, yeah, definitely very cool to see uh, see people step in. Yeah. So. It's great. Yeah, it is, absolutely. So, so you guys, you meet, you fall in love, you get married, not super quick, but, you know, kind of quickly. How long were you uh, were you married before uh, Holden came along? We were. Let's see. We had just celebrated two years. No, we were about to celebrate two years when he was born. Okay, so um, two years. All right. Um, and yeah. so, how did that? That's everything went pretty well. It was kind of normal. Everything seemed. Was that explain that a little bit? That if just uh, having Holden. Oh, yeah, he was just, um, well, first of all, we weren't trying to get pregnant, and so we very, very easily conceived. Um, obviously, we weren't being very careful, but right. we, um, he was like easy conception, easy pregnancy, 
very quick, easy delivery, wow. easy baby. He just was like the most, like he was kind of a perfect baby. He nice. hardly cried. He was self-entertained. Um, he would take he slept all the time. He still sleeps all the time, but he <laughs> slept all the time. And he took great naps. And then when he got older, he was a kid that I could say, okay, you have to stay in your room until your clock says this. And then you can come out in the morning and yes, mommy. And he would do, you know, he was, yeah, that, that was the thrilled. world. of holding, yes. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That was my first, uh, my oldest Josh was the same way. He was like this perfect child and uh he as long as he had food in front of him he was happy <laughs> and you gave him a book and he would sit and look at his book for 10 minutes you know and he'd be quiet you could yes. go to restaurants so it's very cool so what were you guys doing vocationally for uh when when at that age i was a stay-at-home mom um i always wanted to be a mom and so Aaron had just gotten into radio advertising, oh. um, sales job. He had just landed that right before we had Holden. And um, so he was kind of making his way in, in that world, and then that allowed for me to stay home. And I did, for a little bit, I did um, physical exams for life insurance policies. Okay. So I was like, a, I think nowadays he'd probably call you like a medical assistant or maybe even a CNA or something, but... At the time, I just was a phlebotomist and would go around and do insurance physicals, but I could do that, like, after Aaron got home from work, and then I would go just do a couple of them and then come back in the evening or, you know, whatever. Right. Cool. Yeah. And so then uh, just I've done a little bit of uh, research, and so Holden's about uh, two years old, a little over two years old, and you get pregnant again, right? Yep. Got pregnant again. He was... Um, yeah, because by the time we had Hadley, he they were almost exactly three years apart. Um, so yeah, he was a little over two when I got pregnant. Yep. And so you're obviously a super, probably super excited. You're pregnant again, and like, wow, cool. Probably if you were like me, hoping it's going to be a little girl. Um, did you have a care at all about the sex of the baby, or just kind of like, oh, cool, we're pregnant? Yeah, we. I mean, all, we definitely were super stoked that we had found out. Um, pretty early on that we were having a girl and so super excited about that. Like we would have been super happy with a boy too, but yeah. you know, this is kind of always that thing about wanting one of each and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you got the boy, you know, we've had a boy. We kind of know how that works. Let's see what it's like. It'd be yeah. cool to have a girl. So, I mean, uh, and so talk us through a little bit about what happened uh, when you had Hadley. So it took 10 months to get pregnant with her, which was crazy because, both of the other two were very quick um, getting pregnant. And so she, I had a great pregnancy with her, pretty easy. I was a little bit sicker with her than I was with Holden. Um, but, you know, I just kind of figured that was this girl, maybe, mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, and then I had ultrasound was great, found out we were having a girl, everything looked normal. And then um, when I delivered her, she came pretty quick as well, and um, something just looked different about her when she was born. And we, you know, we hadn't had a newborn in a couple years, and it was kind of like, oh, you know, newborns, they just look weird. Because yeah. um, some of them really do look really weird, you know? <laughs> I think um, they all do. They, do. they all kind of do. I know. Holden was an exceptionally pretty baby. Like, he, he came out so fast that his head wasn't shaped weird, and... He had no bruising or he just, 
he looked really good when he was born. And um, she had some bruising on her face, and she had this wild head of hair that we always said she looked like uh, Kramer on Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> um, she just had this crazy hair, but she just looked a little different. And um, it was nothing that we talked about. It was like we both knew in our gut, but not really in our head. Mm. And her Apgars were totally normal. Nobody at her birth seemed to look at each other weird or bring anybody in. You know, everything was just kind of normal. And um, in hindsight, we would we could say now that part of the issue was that her she kind of kept her little hand. We call them her paws, but her, her little hands kind of up next to her, almost up by her shoulders. Yeah. So her elbows bent um, and kind of kept her fingers together a lot. Yeah. And um, we knew she had a hearing loss right at birth. Okay. They had just started doing mandatory newborn screenings in Colorado about the time that Holden was born. So they did that, and they said, you know, she's not really responding very well in this, but it's probably that she has some fluid in her ears. Right. So you can bring her back in 10 days, and we'll do some more testing. And so at that 10-day mark... They said, um, this, yeah, there's definitely something going on here. She's, she's still not responding. She doesn't have fluid in her ears. Um, so for those 10 so days, we, you were thinking that she was perfectly normal. Yeah, definitely thought that things were fine. Had a little bit of concern, like, wait, we didn't, like with Holden, we just left the hospital and we never had to go back. Um, well, although he had some jaundice. And so did Hadley. So, but it was just like, there was nothing concerning, I should right. say. Lots of babies have jaundice in Colorado. So that, that wasn't concerning. Um, but with Hadley, it was kind of like, well, that's a little bit weird, mm-hmm. but no worries, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah. When did, uh, so obviously, so you start to realize at some point that, that there's something wrong, um, that it's, it's something. And of course, I, you, at the beginning, you don't have any idea what's wrong or how severe it is. So kind of when did you start to become aware of we need to have further testing done? Something's going on here that we that we don't really understand. Well, we took her in. So it like, so we found out about hearing loss at 10, 10 days. Then she got her hearing aids at about three months old. But right before that, at two months, we had taken her in for a checkup, and they measured her head size. And this is why they measure babies' head sizes. Um, and they felt a little bit uncomfortable with her head size, but she also hadn't gained a lot of weight. And we thought that it was because she wasn't nursing very well. And we would kind of joke around and say, oh, her sucker's broke. Like, she's just not nursing very well. Right, right. I wasn't even connecting the dots that neuro- neurology and sucking go together. Um, mm. Ah, okay. But... We were like, yeah, she's just not sucking that great, but I also had a little bit of a hard time nursing Holden, so we thought that it was more just like something with me. Mm-hmm. So at two months, they said, let's take her off the breast and put her on formula, and then we'll measure her head again at four months. Okay. Was it because her head was not growing sufficiently? Yeah, it was just a little, I think at two months, it was just like a little bit under mm-hmm. on the charts. So they very much were just like, oh, it's probably she's just not gaining much weight, so her head hasn't grown much either. So three months we got the hearing aids, and we were kind of starting to learn. Like we had an audiologist that would come to the house, and she was going to start teaching us sign language. And Mm. 
Mm. We were kind of like, this is the most traumatic thing we've ever experienced in our whole yeah. life that we have a deaf child. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and so we were trying to like settle into that. Like that right. was a big deal. And yeah. so I asked the audiologist, I was like, you know, there wouldn't be something else wrong with her, would there? Because, you know, this hearing loss kind of came out of nowhere. And, and she said, oh, no, honey, it would only, you know, it would have to be something like her brain or something. And we know that's not an issue. Oh, wow. Because at the time, she was developing pretty normally for that little, you know, that young mm-hmm. of a baby. So at four months, measured her head again. And um, he said, you know what, I'm just not comfortable with this. And I think we should do an MRI. Oh, boy. We were like, no problem. We are not worried about this. You can do an MRI of our baby's brain. Like, we had just moved into a brand new house right before I, like, two days before I delivered her. So we were busy painting the house and so excited about, we had saved up all our pennies to put our down payment on this little house. And so we were pretty distracted by that, I would say. And so we were just like, oh, yeah, we know she's fine. Like, she's got the hearing loss, but she's fine. Yeah, yeah, we'll be okay. We'll figure this out. Yes. And I described it, I might have said this on the Robcast, but that it was kind of like, we can, we can, we kind of have control still mm. over this. Like we can put this in a box and we can learn sign language and we'll be able to communicate and we'll just move right along with our perfect little life. You know, yep. they said no news is good news. Now we know no news means it's not necessarily life threatening. <laughs> <laughs> Because we didn't hear back right away. That was on like a Wednesday, I think, that we did the MRI. And we didn't hear back until Monday morning. Oh, man. And we didn't talk about it the whole time. Like, we didn't lay in bed saying, how do you think that's going to turn out? Is that going to be okay? Like, it really wasn't. It wasn't a big deal. Yeah. And I sat next to the tech during the MRI. And I was standing there right next to him. And I just was saying, oh, my gosh. I wonder, wouldn't that be horrible to find out something awful at one of these things? Yeah. Like, I was just sitting there going, oh, my gosh, people find out really bad news at these things, yeah. you know. But, of course, that's not going to be us, but that's what happens to people in this in these places, you know. Right. And he kind of, he kept saying, you're going to need to speak with your doctor. And I said, oh, no, I know. I'm just, like, making a statement about, like, other people. Right. <laughs> and I'm sure he was freaking out because yeah. he's sitting here staring at the screen while, right. you know. Sure. So, on Monday morning, I said to my husband, I feel anxious about this MRI thing. And he said, so do I. And I'm like, oh, no. Like, if you feel anxious, because, you know, the mom kind of can get like that easier sometimes. But, like, if, th- if he's feeling it, that scared me. Right. So I called the doctor's office and probably called close to six times. Like, I couldn't, you know, get through. And they were busy. It was like Monday morning. And finally they answered. And he called me back. And he said, um, I'm going to need to speak with you and your husband in my office today at 430. Wow. And I was like, I, I don't understand, like, what, what are you talking about, you know? And he just said, we need to talk about your daughter's future. Oh. And I said, can you, can you tell me what you're talking about? Like, I don't, I don't even have a category for why we would need to come in. Yeah. And he was, he was really just trying, now we know him very well, and I, I know he was just trying to be so respectful and careful and kind and tender, and, but he just said, it's, we need to talk about your daughter's brain. And I'm like, wait a second. I, I think you probably have the wrong report. Like, did, did you check? It's Hadley McHugh. Like, do you want me to spell it? <laughs> and he is like, no, that it, it's Hadley. The report I have is on Hadley. Wow. And so 
So I called Aaron. I was screaming in the phone at work. He's at work trying to, he couldn't even hear what I was saying. I was just screaming. It's her brain. Wow. Uh, um, wow. Yeah, that uh, one always gets me. Yeah, I can't <laughs> that even. That one always gets me. I can't even imagine. Um, I have, And I appreciate you going through this again with us. I know that's. I know when I was listening to the Robcast, you say you go into storytelling mode, and yet I know that there's times that you know emotion still still goes, you know, it still goes there, still pops up. Yeah, it does. Certain times I can totally just like power through. Yeah, and then every every so often I get a little glimpse yeah. of what that morning felt like. Yeah, yeah. The feeling comes back. Yeah, yeah. And just picture so vividly, like, mm. what I was doing and where I was and, you know. Well, just the terror um, of the moment, you know, just like this. It, it, it's You don't anticipate it. You're trying to, you know, you like you say, in retrospect, you're looking back and going, okay, now we saw all these little signs. But in the moment when that wave crashes into you, you, you can't ever forget that. Right. So you're telling Aaron and you guys, so I'm sorry, continue. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we... You know, we drove over there, I think, in silence. We just didn't even talk. We we only lived a few minutes away from the doctor's office. And um, we sat down in his office, and he just sat there with tears streaming down his face. Oh. Dr. Couch oh. did. And he just said her she was just born without part of her brain. She's missing the majority of her cerebellum, and the rest of her brain is underdeveloped as well. So what and, what does that moment look like in the doctor's office when you're hearing this news? I mean, how do you how do you guys respond to this? This is shattering. You know, I think literally we were in such shock that I remember trying to hear what he was saying. Mm. And you know, we were at this time 25, 26, something like that. So we we were now I would say young kids, you know. Um, yeah, right. I know. It sounds so young now, right? I'm with you. I feel so young. I know. Um, and so I think, like, we we're just so shocked and didn't didn't even know where to put that or what to do with that, and had just had no category. Yeah. And he would he I do remember him saying. Like, we're kind of like, what What are you talking about? Like, what does this mean? Will she be able to talk? Will she be able to walk? Will she, we, we don't know what all, what all does this part of the brain control and what does this mean? And he just said she could be anything from basically like mildly retarded to having severe needs. Right. We would just watch her over time and see what happened and see how she did. And so I think I was on a mission to um, make sure she was fine and, like, I know at one point, you know, she kind of stopped developing as normally she made it as far as being able to kind of push up with on her forearms, on her stomach. But she never could sit up. She couldn't crawl. She could hardly hold her head up. Well, she could early on. She held her head up better. But once she started to develop seizures, she, I, I feel like she lost kind of some control of that. Or she could hold it up for a while, but then it would kind of drop, you know, it's like, not consistent. Um, so what exactly but, is the cerebellum control? Well, it's interesting. It's like a lot of, um, is it global? Now I've kind of forgotten some of the terms, but the, the some of the bigger major things, like I know I talked to a mom who had a daughter, two kids actually that were born with completely without their cerebellum and they could walk and talk, but they couldn't open um, like packages of things. 
So, like, fine motor control? There's definitely, like, some personality stuff that can go along with it. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because I think that there was not... We didn't focus on that at the beginning because we're like, okay, now I talk to a mom and her kids can walk and talk and go to the mall. So if she can't open packages, we're, we're going to be fine. Right. So I think I sure. kind of didn't even camp out on exactly what all that meant because we were. De- I was so determined to like, but is she going to be okay? Is she going to be okay? You know? Yeah. I would say it's somewhere in there because we didn't realize how much the fact that she had microcephaly, which is the underdeveloped brain, we kind of didn't even really talk about that for the first couple of years. It was more we focused on the cerebellum right. until we went to a new neurologist when she was a couple of years old, and she was like, you know, her her microcephaly is really, it's basically she has two things going on here. Okay. She's not only missing most of her cerebellum, but she also has an underdeveloped brain. So okay. if we only had the cerebellum issue, she maybe would have walked and talked. But because the rest of her brain was underdeveloped, then she really never made it past, I would say, probably like about a six-month-old baby developmentally. Two questions here. When did you become fully aware? How old was she when you became fully aware? Of, okay, this is, this is what's going on. Now we have the full picture. I would say somewhere between like a year and two years. Okay. Because that first six months, so if we found out at four months, first six months was just an absolute blur and fog. Some friends pitched in and bought us a computer so we could start doing research on the internet and then we could have email and we could keep up with people and let people know what was going on. So I spent a ton of time on that computer, which was helpful and not helpful in some ways too. But yeah, so I think it was probably a good couple years, but she started, she never really did take a bottle well, but she would get enough downer that she was gaining and growing and all of that. You know, Dr. Katz always said that she's probably going to need a G-tube at some point. And I was like, oh, not my baby. Like, (laughs) you watch. I'm going to feed that baby, and she is not going to eat through a tube. And finally, at like, I don't know, two and a half or, no, I guess she was just right at two. I called him and said, can we talk about this (laughs) G-tube? Because she just couldn't keep enough down her. And... So she got her G-tube when she was about two, and then she threw up for about a year because we were just trying to figure everything out with how fast or slow to feed her. Mm-hmm. And finally, after months and months, figured out that she needed what was ca- called a Nissen fundoplication. So basically, we ne- they needed to tighten up part of the, like the top of her stomach, bottom mm-hmm. of the esophagus, I think it is. Yeah. Because everything was just flooding right back up. Okay. So that's what we did when she was three. And then it was all therapy, tons of therapy, speech therapy, occupational, physical therapy, doctor's appointments. And we tried everything alternative that we could possibly think of. And right. So yeah. how much was she able to interact with you? Were you able to communicate with her? No, she didn't ever develop any language necessarily but she like we definitely knew what her different cries meant Mm -hmm. um different sounds she would make she made a lot of funny little sounds she was like a giant baby and so we think that she probably knew and understood much more than we ever thought she did right um you know you just you can only wonder what all was going on inside that little head but 
she would um, she would like have a certain response at just the right time sometimes. Right. And you're just like that couldn't always be coincidental. Yeah. You know, whether she'd get start kicking her arms and legs like she and Holden well, they all three ended up going to the same school for just like one year, but before Avery ever got into the school, Holden and Hadley were in a school where their classrooms had no doors. They were it was an open building and Holden would hear her fussing across the hall and his teacher had given him permission to just leave the class if he needed to, to go be with her. And so he would go over and comfort her and love on her and she would settle down. Wow. You you just love Holden right now, don't you, Carol? He's such such a great kid. That's awesome. Oh, you have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I take it he had a a special place in his heart for his little sister. It didn't, Oh my god! Did it bother him that he couldn't really communicate with her? In a traditional no, way? No, not in a traditional way. I mean, he was crazy about her. Aww. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Never, ever, ever resentful for all the doctor's appointments he sat through. Um, he, he was crazy about her. Mm. And Avery was exactly the same way in her own way of, of communicating that. She was so crazy about Hadley as well, and they both just had the sweetest relationship with her. That's awesome. Avery constantly wanted to be up in her bed and around whatever oh. we were doing with her, and she loved to paint her nails, and oh. she put makeup on her sometimes, <laughs> and, well, you I'm know. Gonna, I'm going um, to tell you, we saw, I saw a picture on Facebook where Hadley had eyebrows and a mustache. <laughs> yes, that was Halloween. <laughs> I figured it was Halloween. It was like my little business person. I'm like, that's awesome. Yes. Very cool. Yes, yes. Um, how'd that affect the family dynamics? I mean, Holden's real little when Hadley comes along, and of course he's trying to figure life out. And, you know, I was wondering, was there ever a point where they're like, you know, she's getting a lot of attention, of course. Uh, but it doesn't sound like that was the dynamic at all. You know, I, I can't figure out why <laughs> they had such sweetness toward her give, just given all that they walk through yeah. other than just they have the most beautiful hearts of any two humans mm. that I know on this planet <laughs> um, awesome. and they were just born that way like they were both born that way and we also we tried to make our life as normal as it could possibly be when it was so jacked up Yeah, you know we traveled we played hard we yeah. We did a lot of things. We dressed Hadley up. We took <laughs> we took her out everywhere. We didn't stay quiet at home. We didn't mm-hmm. keep everybody in. Yeah. You know, we had people over all the time. And I don't know. I think that they they adjusted very very well. But they both had a very significant piece in the day that she died. And it was just to me explained that like it was just another picture of how much they loved her. And I, I, I'm going to just gently suggest here that their their beautiful hearts maybe kind of came from mom and dad a little bit, I bet. <laughs> Probably a little bit from you and Aaron. I mean, that doesn't happen by accident. I I got four kids, and Carol has four kids. And, and Chad, oh my you have three kids, right, Chad? Yeah, Chad has three. And I know that stuff like that just doesn't happen in a vacuum. So I'm just going to throw that mm-hmm. out there. So, Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I If you could just, this is the tough part, and this is the part that... Uh, it really got to me when I was listening to the podcast and it got to Rob, but if you could just walk us through a little bit, you know, how she, how she passed away and it's such a beautiful story. 
Um, so if you could share that with us, that would be great. Yeah, definitely. Um, thanks for asking about that. So we thought she was going to die two years before she did. She was at the hospital, and I think it was pneumonia that time as well. And the kids had, we all kind of talked about how this might look, and they had agreed that they wanted her to come home and die at our house. So I drove her home in our wheelchair van, literally like, I'm not really trying to be like gross here, I just mean like almost half dead. Like she was really not well, and we already had the coroner like ready for us to call and we had done all the pre stuff that you do with hospice and all that. And I can't even imagine Lee having to make those phone calls. I just can't even fathom what that would even be. No. And I I don't know how we did it actually, but there are a lot of things that now we talk about and we're like, how did we do that? I think you do it it because you have to, there's not another option. Yeah. Anything else. There's, Right, that's, that's just what you have to do. So she, we had kids lined up from school, came. The whole school was, like, lined up outside of our house oh. telling her goodbye. They made her a quilt. <laughs> she decided, like, a day or two later to peek open her eyes and start tossing her arms around. We called them her cheerleader arms. <laughs> start tossing her arms around and making her little noises and was, like, ready to roll. <laughs> Everybody's like, Haz, what do you what are you doing? Like, did you just need all this attention? And so we had two more years. So that was like a, we call it our dress rehearsal. And then she, let's see, I was just, um, going to yoga. It was a Tuesday morning and I always had to keep my phone out all the time in case I got called. So, you know, I just left it on the edge of my mat, and right when I was just getting on the mat, I saw school calling, and I knew that was pretty unusual because her aide, we had gotten very close with her, and she knew what we were comfortable with, and we knew what she was comfortable with, and so she wouldn't call me unless Hadley was really not doing well. So I got a little concerned when I saw school calling, but I stepped out, took the call, and they just said, you know, she's just not breathing well. Like, we have her up on five liters of oxygen, and she's still not staying in the 90s on her um, oxygen saturation. And so I said, well, that sounds a little concerning. So I went to go pick her up, and she didn't look very good. And I called Dr. Couts on the way, and he said, you know, I guess went on my way to go get her. And he said, if she is still doing that when you get to her, I want you to take her to the ER. So I took her to the ER, and they said, yeah, she's not well. They said that at the time they thought she had the flu and pneumonia, so they admitted her, and she went downhill pretty quickly. And they had her on this, it's called a BiPAP machine, so it was this, like, almost Darth Vader mask that just forced air into her. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. And we realized that we were at a place where we needed to start making some decisions about whether or not we wanted to continue doing that or not. So we talked as a family and just, talked to, I mean, the kids were nine and 15 at the time and just said, you know, this is not your decision, but we are curious kind of what your thoughts are right. with all of this. You know, Holden said, I think we should take her off because he could understand like a couple of people had been talking about how, what an awful feeling that is to have that air forced in your face. And like our friend's dad had been on one of those and just said it was, it was like traumatic. Yeah. 
and Avery was pretty young and didn't totally understand, and she was like, I don't think we should take her off, you know, and we just were trying to make it clear that we know this this is not your guys' decision, but we, we do care about what you think in all of this, you know. So we decided to go ahead and on Thursday morning we would take off the BiPAP, and she stayed on um, a, a mask, I think oxygen mask, for really basically the next 24 hours. And she was slowly declining, but on Friday morning, you know, people always came by to see us at the hospital, and right. everybody spent the night, you know, we had Avery spent the night, and two of her caregivers, we all spent the night together her last night there, and, um, you know, we were up at two in the morning, and it's just walking around the halls and being silly, and right. nobody really thought she was, like, going to die. And well, she's a little fighter, right? I mean, she's she'd been through yeah. this before, and she pulls through, and yeah. this is just what Hadley does. Yes. Tough as nails. And even a, one of my dear friends came Friday morning and she said, you know, at noon, she left at noon and she goes, well, I'm sure you guys are going to be out of here soon because you know Hags. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, I know, you know, even though it didn't look like she was doing very good. So that was about noon. And then I, I had gotten in bed with her. I was on one side of her and Avery was on the other side of her. And the nurses had turned off her monitors so that we weren't just, like, obsessing over all of her numbers and right. kind of wa watching them go down, basically. And we didn't know at that point if, if it would be possibly, like, days or weeks or... We, we, we didn't know. It was just a waiting game. Right. But she definitely wasn't getting any better. And so I was going to... I needed to take a shower. I hadn't showered in, like, three days. And, wow. and Holden got in my spot, and I went to go turn on the monitor to just double-check before I left the room and saw that her numbers were super low. And so I ran out to the desk, and they had said they would come in and get us if the numbers had gotten really low. And, and they were all away from the monitors. So just they were the ICU was full of patients, and so nobody was watching at the time. And so they said, "Yeah, that's definitely concerning." And they got the doctor, and doctor came in and basically said, "Yeah, this is this is it." And so everything all of a sudden like went into another gear. Yeah. Like, I was going to go take a shower because she was fine, and my friend had just left and said, we'll probably see you guys at home. And and all of a sudden, we weren't doing that anymore. It was like, wow. we were, and, and I don't know how long it was. I should ask my family if anybody can remember, but I have no category of mm. what time it was when that happened to when she actually passed at 3 o'clock-ish. And was um, there too? Yep, Aaron was there. He had been out on a walk, and all of a sudden, I'm calling him saying, honey, I think you better come back upstairs, like, and he was kind of like, what? Like, she was she was okay a minute ago, yeah. you know, and I'm yeah. like, I know, but meanwhile, Holden had crawled into my spot and was basically coaching her to heaven. He was just laying with her saying, baby girl, I'll, I will fall asleep with you, and we can do this together, and I'll, I'll stay with you, like, he just talked in her ear. Wow. literally until she was gone. We had probably 25 people in the hospital room surrounding her bed. Some of our favorite worship music was playing in the background, and it was a really, really beautiful and terrible moment yeah. Yeah. in all senses of the word. And then it was kind of like, yes, like she's actually dead now, and then everyone just like, what, what do you do when you're standing there with a child that's now dead and she fought through everything forever and now all of a sudden she's dead and 
it was the most awkward and like <laughs> I can't even I imagine. Just can't yeah I couldn't even wrap my brain around any of it and there was just so much happening in the room and then people were coming by to, to basically say goodbye but then we're like well we're trying to explain that like she's she's dead and she's starting to look like she's dead but if you want to go tell her goodbye you can and we would like that but don't feel pressure like it was right, super right. awkward well, yeah, yeah. When you, tell, you know well tell us a little <clears throat> bit about what avery did and how avery um, oh. was able to um do what she needed to do for her sister mm. you know she was nine years old she had been laying she did not leave her side for probably hours she just laid there twisting her little pink blanket and laying next to Hadley's side and all this fuss is happening with trying to figure out organ donation and then they're trying to take like handprints of her hands and feet and you know so that we would have like you know little oh prints all that stuff so there's so much happening and so all of a sudden you have to go into like I actually have to use my brain for a second and answer questions mm -hmm. and do all that and then yeah, I look up and Avery yeah paperwork um Avery is at the top of Hadley's bed bawling. She has the most giant chocolate eyes you've ever seen, and she has just huge crocodile tears pouring out. And I have finally, like, look at her, and I'm like, babe, what are you doing? Like, I kind of got scared. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm realizing that she's sitting with her dead sister's body, and now we're going on a couple hours. And she was brushing her hair and braiding her hair and unbraiding it and rebraiding it and trying to get it just right. Um, and I was like, honey, honey, you do not have to do this. Like, I almost wanted her to like get down and stop doing, you know, cause mm -hmm. I, it was like bothering her and she just looked at me and this is who she is. Like now I can see like, th this is Avery. She looked at me and she said, I need to do this. I want to do this. And I'm just like stopped in my tracks of like, how does she have such wisdom and maturity and, Okay, so she, I don't know how much longer she stayed there. I think we eventually ended up laughing because we were trying to figure out whether or not to put a diaper on Hadley. And we were like, no, she doesn't want a diaper anymore. So we were like, okay, you're going commando. And oh, it was, just, it was we, we have a really sick sense of humor in our family. And that was all starting to kick into gear as we got delirious. Yeah. And <laughs> Has Avery been able to kind of, in, in years past then, kind of been able to articulate um, more why she needed or wanted to do that? You know, she hasn't yet. Okay. I think that her processing is happening all the time. And if and when she's ready to process that loud, mm. I trust that she will. Mm -hmm. I've learned, we've learned a lot about her and even in just the last few years and you know, just watching her and realizing that she she is processing all the time, gotcha. but she's quieter than in those ways than I am. You know. So yeah. So were you guys attending a church that time? Were you guys involved with the fellowship at all? Or I'm curious how your family and maybe a church family responded to to Hadley and kind of the challenges that you guys were going through. We were in church at the time. We had an awesome community of people around us. Mm -hmm. 
not a ton of them were in our church family necessarily. Sure. Some of them were, but, and our church was awesome about helping us with her service and, you know, all of that. They were incredible. We had 1,200 people at her funeral and um, it was just a massive party. We had bounce houses and um, paints going on and it was a party. That's awesome. 800 balloons and, but we did have an awesome community of people around us. So, whether it meant people who brought us meals all the time or, you know, I have one precious friend who would give up her good night's sleep and stay at the hospital at least one of the nights when we would be there so that we could all go home as a family and sleep at home. And my friends <laughs> would bring me wine at the hospital. <laughs> we would have wine and, like, nice dinners. and um, That's awesome. Our friends really, really stepped in and rolled up their sleeves and, and got their hands dirty in our world. One of the reasons why we do this podcast, An Open Letter, is we try to talk about subjects that we don't think get talked about enough and trying to grapple with difficult difficult things that happen in life and difficult concepts. So obviously, you know, there's families out there that are in similar situations as your family was. What are some things that people can practically do to, to come alongside and help a, a family like that? Wow, that's a really good question. I think, like, in our case, I felt like what meant the most to us was the people who just did stuff. You know, I mean, it was helpful if people would ask us what we needed sometimes. But, like, there was... Um, a woman who I, I run into her occasionally, and I just saw her a few weeks ago, and I always say, you know you're in our Hall of Fame. <laughs> she did not even know us. She just knew our story and lived pretty close by, and she said, you know, I can't bring you a meal because I'm just not, that's not like my jam, right. but I can do your laundry. Like, I'll just throw it in with my family's laundry, and so she would come every single week and pick up my dirty laundry off my porch because I said, you know, sometimes I just don't even want to talk. And she said, no problem, just put it on the porch. And she would come pick it up and deliver it folded and clean That's for awful. like weeks or months. I mean, it had to have been months. So that kind of stuff where people just literally stepped in and just did stuff right. was helpful. It was super helpful when people would just listen it was helpful when people weren't afraid of us and our story right. or not afraid of our daughter. Like she made weird noises and well, she sure. pooped in her diaper and, yeah. you know, but it was just, it was really sweet when people would just get in there with us. I want to flip that question on its head and I want to talk, just give us an idea of some things that maybe people do that they think they're being helpful and it's maybe not helpful. I could tell you really easily what some of those are. Um, <laughs> I bet you can. Those make memories. Yes. Huh? <laughs> the classic um, yeah. failures of kind of a tried kindness. <laughs> it's a couple things. Like when if people would bring a meal and then stay and tell me all about their problems. Oh. oh. No, well, that was nice. not helpful. <laughs> no, it was not helpful at the time. Now there could be another time where I would be available to listen to that, but typically, if we needed a meal, I was not in any kind of emotional or mental space to right. receive that. Not helpful when people would say, "You know, God doesn't give you more than you can handle." Oh, um, oh did you actually a- physically slap someone? They said that because I would have given you permission. 
You know, <laughs> I didn't, but I did break my hand twice punching something. Oh, oh wow. wow. But I don't, I, I can't just, people, I mean, yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Because I had more than I could handle. I Absolutely. Had way, our whole family oh, yeah. had way more than we could possibly handle. And yeah. also for people to say that God picks special people uh-huh. to oh, do this, you yeah. must be really special uh-huh. because God picked you to do this. And not wow. that I don't think that there's some truth to that, but you don't feel real special no. sure. in the middle of your story when it's that painful and brutal. Um, so those are the quick things I can think of. No, those, <laughs> are, about, um, and those it, are good. Go ahead, Carol. How about uh, All Things Work Together for Good? Have you ever heard that one? Oh, yeah. Not a big fan of that one. No. <laughs> not a big fan. No. Especially because it's kind oh, of basically just taken away out of context when it's quoted like that. Yeah. Yes. It's so awesome to hear that there's so many people who were able to provide actual legitimate help that really helped you guys through all this. Yeah. So it sounds like yeah. the beautiful thing is that it sounds like that Hadley impacted so many lives and made such a difference. And uh, it, continues, it continues to do so with her story and you telling that story yep. of, of who, who she was. And I just think that's beautiful. Thank you. We we usually wrap the podcast about an hour, and I feel like I'm about half done with what I want to say to you and ask you about because we didn't even touch on Brave Beauty I, I or a, rebut- rebooting your life and rebooting your life. Oh gosh, yes. I want well, we'll to have to do another one. Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm leading to that. I want to do another one, and I don't you know I don't care if we need to do two, three more. Respectful of your time, of course, and what you're able to do, but. Uh, we're going to kind of kind of wrap this section of it, Hadley's story. Carol and I were at a friend's house the other night, and um, we were having dinner. And um, I know they listened to the podcast because she told me. So, hi, Sharon. Um, <laughs> so, they, they had a friend who five years ago lost a baby. And um, they never they never got over it. And um, she was as she was telling me this story, I'm like, I'm, I want to relay this story to Leith to get your response. Um so they've become a couple that no one wants to be around. Uh, they're just, they're, they're very, they're grieving, they're hurting, and they haven't been able to come to grips with it. And, of course, we all handle grief differently. Um, so my question to you is, you know, why do you think families respond differently to things like this? We have had a lot of suicide in our um community mm. mainly so the reason i remember may 12th being at rob is yeah. because when we arrived home on may 15th um avery lost one of her best friends to oh. suicide that night oh, right when we got off the plane a couple hours after we got off the plane um oh, and so i have watched and and walked with several families that have lost children to suicide and one family in particular they're struggling. They are. It's been a few years, and they're struggling, and some people are getting uncomfortable with it. Right. And I guess the only thing I have to say about it is that they get all the time that they need right. yeah. to be where they are. Yeah. I don't know if there's an answer. I mean, for our family, we chose to get lots of help, and we spent a ton of time in recovery at a trauma recovery program called Onsite in outside of Nashville. Mm-hmm. We have spent hundreds of thousands, literally, mm. um, especially last year, hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash on wow. help. 
And that's one of the, the the top this other couple. They just are like, we're fine. We don't need help. We're fine. Mm. And, uh, and and you mm. know, we know I've been through tons of counseling myself. We're in counseling now. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't, you know, of course, there's a stigma there. Because we're married. Are like, well, <laughs> we are. We are married. We still like to say that. It's still fun. We're. I'm your husband. Yes, you I'm are. Married. Yeah, I know. Right. Yeah, that's fun. So you, it sounds like that you guys never. Uh, you know. I'll ask anyway the question, how close were you to possibly becoming a family like that? Was that a danger for you guys? Or do you think you were like, no, we're going to get help. We're going to do what it takes to be healthy. And we kind of have an idea of what health looks like. You know, I think our family is, um, we are really resilient people. Yeah. And my husband and I both came from um, trauma in our childhood as well. And I think... That there's something, there's something about Aaron and I together in particular who we want joy. Right. We want, we choose it mm. and we choose life. And I don't know exactly why we both do that. And then in turn, our kids do the same thing. I don't know if that's part of why we just had to be together. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. I don't really get it. But we both tend to be pretty resilient people, and we both know when we need help. It, you know, we, we spent plenty of time not getting help for a while until we realized that we needed help. I was depressed for probably months and months before I would actually go, oh, I think this is depression, yeah. and I need help, and I actually need medication for depression because right. opening the blinds and putting sun on my face is not going to help. Right. Um, right. Or going and taking a walk you know, or being happier. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, so I could have tried to choose joy all I wanted during those days, and there, there, you, I couldn't. Right. I couldn't choose joy. Um, but we have done a lot over the years to physically take care of ourselves as well. You know, I think that is a huge contributor. Like we, I had to, I did not want to go to yoga. I had to go to yoga. It was like medicine for me yeah. and my body and my yeah. brain. And my friends would drag me because I'd be like, I just don't feel like it. And they're like, you, you have to go. And yeah. you have to get out and walk and swing your arms when you walk so it crosses over both sides of the brain. And there's just some things that we learned from, you know, years of being in therapy and having lots of friends that were therapists that yeah. helped us a ton, I guess. Yeah, so, very, um, so it sounds like some just very practical, physical, dietary relational things that you can do to help with those things. Hey, I have a question for you. It's Chad. Yeah, yeah it's the producer, Boo. Um, <laughs> I, let me give you a little backstory first. Um, I have a cousin who has encephalitis. She uh, developed mm-hmm. it at a very young age. I think she was about two. I'm one of the only people who remember her, at least within my cousins, that remember her not being sick. And that was even not very long my aunt is going through a lot of what it sounds like you have gone through. And uh, sadly, last week, they had to make a very difficult decision because she was seizing a lot and dealing a lot with pneumonia and sodium levels that they have moved her into hospice. So they are, in essence, preparing to be in a similar situation uh, that you are or were in. What would you say to my aunt and my uncle who are about to face this dark moment in their lives? 
what would you say to them? Wow. You know, um, I was just talking with somebody, I think today, about something along these lines. And I remember, I don't know if someone, I think someone, a doctor told us, one of the kindest men that was helping us and teaching us about palliative care, which helps keep people comfortable when they're close to dying. Mm. We didn't even know that was something. And so we're like, oh, you mean Hadley might not have to like suffer, suffer at the end. Like she can have morphine and have things that will help her. He was basically saying like, you guys are the only ones who know what the right thing to do for your daughter is. So when we chose to take her oxygen off of her, we were actually choosing to give her life even though it was, it could have been argued that we were giving her death. Right. But for us and our family and our story and us knowing our daughter, she needed us to let her go and help her go. Mm. Wow. And we felt very settled with that. I know at one point, like we had to, what was, when we thought she was dying the first time, it was not kind of us to continue to feed her her regular feedings right. because her body was trying to shut down. And so we would pull back on her feedings and we were keeping people up to date on this stuff. And we had some, somebody posting on our care pages, like let Hattie live. Wow. Don't stop feeding her. Like, wow. like, I don't think she said, they said you're killing her, but basically kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we had to just go back to like, we're the only ones that know with the education of our doctors, yeah. we're the only ones who know what the right and best decision is for right. our family and our daughter. Right. Um, and you, cause you know, obviously know her. I mean, you yeah. have the, you have the, the knowledge that you never wanted to gain in the first place, but you have this knowledge and education and the knowledge of who she is and what she really needed. Yes. And I think like in the case of, um, this sweet girl that's, maybe near the end of life too for Hadley she was suffering so much and so it was like her death was really bittersweet because she she needed to go like she was hurting you know and um and it sounds like that might be true in this girl's life as well and I don't know if it would be helpful google beauty and terror intertwined mm. It's about a 12-minute video, and um, a friend of ours is a videographer, and he filmed that four days after she died. I think I saw and, that. Um, it's very powerful. It's awesome. It tells more of the story, and, and then her death is at the end of the video. Her death is on there as well. Um, it's not, I, I wouldn't say it's, like, gruesome, but it's, right. it's a tearjerker for sure. But that's something that... I pass it on and just say, you know, maybe start watching it. And if it's too much for someone that's in a similar situation, then um, if it's not going to be life-giving to them, then, the, you know, by all means, don't watch it. But right. it could also be helpful to watch. Yeah, We can, we can I, post that on our Facebook page. Yeah, we will. We'll put, we'll put that on our Facebook page. We have to be a community. We have to connect with each other and help each other because we all feel pain, of course. We go through traumatic times. And uh, you know it varies in degrees, but um, we just we just have to we have to band together and help yep. each other through through grief and things like this. Yeah. 
I agree. Right, Leith, I so much appreciate you you're giving us some time tonight and just going over some very uh, emotional stuff in your story. Thank you very much. Thank you. Ah, no, thank you guys so much, and I'd be happy to do you know, a part two if we need to or whatever. Yeah, I, I very that. much I very much want to do that. I've got a lot more questions for you. We got about halfway through, but um, <laughs> I want to respect your time, and we usually stay around an hour for the podcast. So, all right, Leith, well, you have a great night, and uh, enjoy your time with the kids. Uh, thank you so much, and thanks again for having me. All right, we'll talk again. Bye-bye. Okay, <laughs> bye-bye. Bye. Wow, what a, what a, what a difficult story. I remember the first time I heard that, I uh, just, I was crying in my car. I just, it just hit me like a ton of bricks and, uh, and, uh, like Rob, when he was listening to it, when he was listening to Lee's story, he just, I've listened to a lot of his podcasts. He couldn't talk. He just broke down. Well, this is an open letter. Um, appreciate you listening. Hope you enjoyed and, uh, found this a helpful podcast tonight. We will have Leith back on. Um, she does have a kind of a, I, I don't know if she calls, doesn't really call it a ministry, but she does conferences. It's called Brave Beauty. And they, uh, there's another part of the story about how they retirely rebooted their lives and uh, went through really some drastic measures to change things and felt like they really needed to, to stay sane and to survive. So hopefully we'll hear that. We'll have that coming up in the next couple of weeks or a month or so. Uh, if you do want to contact us, if you have any feedback, we do have a Facebook page under an open letter. We also have an email address. It's an open letter to you at gmail.com. And that's the number two, the letter U, an open letter to you at gmail.com. So email us. We're on iTunes. We're on SoundCloud. Please, please, please give us a review on iTunes. If we get any type of reviews, what happens is, is people can find us. We also would like reviews on our Facebook page, as my producer is mouthing over and over to me to make sure I say that. But if you do it on iTunes, too, it will actually start to register, and, uh, and you can leave your comments. And we very much need your feedback because we want to continue to get better and to grow and to be able to help more and more people. So thanks for listening, and I uh, hope you have a great night or day or whatever time of the day you're listening to this. So we'll see you later.